covering sports in the Midwest. It's the Midwest Sports Network. MWSN.net. It's the 200th episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Freesound.org. And we have a big episode on this milestone occasion. First, we dive into Malin's Mailbag. Then we talk about the new look coming for the Cincinnati Bengals. Next up, the 2021 MLS Super Draft for FC Cincinnati and the Columbus Crew. And the Dayton Flight have a couple of draft picks of their own in the Basketball League. And what's going on And two Horizon League women's basketball teams. If you want local sports, it's not on Dayton Radio. It's on the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, Episode 200. Welcome to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. This is a weekly audio podcast that covers all sports in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio, and covers areas from Norfolk, Kentucky, and the Ohio River up to Lima and Allen County. From Richmond, Indiana, and the surrounding Whitewater Valley region to Madison County and surrounding areas. If you want local sports, this is your source. To find your favorite way of listening to this podcast, as well as visiting the Tea Public and Redbubble shops and find the latest episodes, please visit sindaypod.com. This opening theme was created with the Splash app. It's time for another episode with your host, Lee W. Mowen. It's the 200th episode. Thanks for listening in. Hard to believe I've stuck with this podcast for 200 episodes. That's 200 uploads of audio, sometimes ranging from two and a half hours to... I think the shortest episode I ever did was 20 minutes. And I'm sorry for the delay, almost two weeks since the last episode. But yours truly has been incredibly busy. So the three things I've been doing this winter, it's been a very nice winter, actually. I've been up in WPTW calling a lot of Miami County games. And my last one saw the Tippecanoe Red Devils claim the Miami Valley League boys basketball title. And for the first time in a very long time, I saw a team snip the nets down. And that was really cool. It was a really good game, too. I was working with Jeff Dillon, who's formerly the head coach of Sinclair Community College Women's Basketball. He's been around at Wright State and Dayton, I believe. So it's been a lot of fun working with Jeff and Jim Brown, of course, a previous guest on this podcast. And right now, the plan is next Tuesday, I get to work with Ron Russo, for Troy Christian Boys Basketball hosting Miami East. So I'm looking forward to that next week. So yeah, WPTW's been taking a lot of my free time. There's also ESP Media. I've been doing a lot of stuff for the company in Cincinnati. And in fact, I recently broadcast my first wrestling and swimming bouts. And they went very well, honestly. Although wrestling only lasted 35 minutes, which uh, that stunk. Because I wanted more. Because I was around the fifth wrestler. It's just, this is the last wrestle. This is the last bout. It's like, ah. Oh. I was starting to really, you know. It was a lot of fun. And I hope people do enjoy it. And, you know, think that, you know, I do a great job. Swimming was a lot of fun, too. 
Except for the fact uh, I started off the broadcast and I almost said skating uh, twice, I think. Hey, look, when I see water and it's winter, I'm thinking frozen ice. Because, you know, well, frozen water is ice, but you get what I'm saying. I think hockey. You know what I meant, but yeah. And also, uh, TKDS Sports, I've been doing a lot of basketball this year. So, in fact, I already had to uh, get a second scorebook, which I did not plan for that. But uh, luckily, it works out. So, I've been doing a lot of broadcasting. It's been a lot of fun. And, yeah, playoffs are happening soon. Girls basketball draw in Ohio is actually later today. And I think boys basketball might be next week. But we'll definitely try to have Tony and Seth from Southwest Ohio Full Court Press podcast on and talk a little bit about that. But let's get to the show now. In fact, I want to thank you, the listener, for sticking around, wherever you've been with me for all 200 episodes, wherever you joined in a little bit later on. It doesn't matter. When you say you enjoy the podcast, when you chime in and you make fun of me saying, you know, names incorrectly because I didn't know how to say them. I shouldn't say make fun, but help me out, I should say. I do appreciate that. And, you know, (laughs) I got two tweets about when the Browns, was it when they clinched the playoffs? I think it was. Like, how was that game? Oh, it was great. UD won. Uh, That's not the game I was talking about. I don't care. That's the game I worked. (laughs) But I want to thank you, the listener, for sticking around. And hearing me tell the tale of local sports. Pity that Dayton Radio doesn't think it's fit, but whatever. And now, it's time for Mowen's Mailbag. I got a question in for episode 200. I was looking for a lot more, but sometimes that's how the mailbag tumbles. And we get it from good friend Michael Galloway. He sends in the lone question today on Browns Rule 4007 on Twitter. Blue Jackets chances this year. Now, this is attempt number three on me talking. Actually, I had to throw away the whole recording because I got pretty nasty. And I thought, no, I'm going to redo it. And plus, I felt like, you know, I could have done a lot better. So, this is attempt number three. So, let's start off with a preview about the Blue Jackets and the NHL. This year, there are four divisions. East, West, Canada, a.k.a. North, and Central. So, the NHL also had the wise idea to sell the naming rights of these divisions. You remember back in the day, there was Wales and Campbell. Well, it's kind of like that, except they are big companies that push a pretty penny over to the NHL side. And I get most people's irk about having... Big companies just, you know, flood in sports. I mean, that's been a thing for a while now. Advertisements are nothing new, especially around the uh, dashboards. That's nothing new. What is new, there are a few teams, I don't think all of them, but a few teams that have a big corporate name on the helmets, which a lot of people flipped out about. But at the same time, when do you really see the close-up of the helmets? When you see a close-up of a player? Sure. But... Hey, I mean, it's a tough time with COVID still lurking, and now there's how many bad variants of the virus that uh, the vaccines might not help on. 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's a few. But when you can't really have the fans that you had before the you know pandemic, you got to find a way to make money. You can't just run it for free. So, you know, I applaud the NHL for thinking about that. So your four divisions with the corporate sponsors, you have Mass Mutual East, which is mostly New York, New England teams with Pennsylvania covered, New Jersey, and Washington, D.C. So that covers the Caps, the Flyers, Bruins, Penguins, Sabres, Devils, Islanders, and Rangers. And in fact, that's the entire order of the Mass Mutual East, Washington on top 6-0-3, and Flyers 6-2-1. and So not bad years. Boston, 12 points in third place, 5-1-2. and two. Pittsburgh, 5-3-1. I've seen a lot of Penguins fans on Twitter really complain about how Pittsburgh always starts off in the hole. But then, I mean, hey, you get five wins and one overtime loss. I mean, that's not... It could be a lot worse, let's say that. Buffalo, 4-3-2. New Jersey, 3-3-2. What surprised me, the New York Islanders, 3-4-1. They're... In seventh place, not a bad record. Seven points, which that is eight points away from first. And then you got two, four, and two New York Rangers, which surprised me. Still not a big fan of how King Hendrick was let go. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's been around and it was time to move on, but just, eh. And then he signed on with the Caps and had to quit because a heart condition, which that broke my heart. So... Now we go to the Scotia North, which is short for Scotiabank, I believe. They have a couple rinks in Canada. I think Calgary still the Scotiabank Saddle Dome, which kind of looks like a big Pringles chip. The roof is like it dips down as it gets towards the middle. It's kind of cool looking. It's one of the older rinks in the NHL, but who said old rinks were bad? You have Toronto leading the way, 7-2-1, fall by Montreal. Vancouver, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Calgary, and Ottawa. And a little spoiler, Ottawa has the worst goal differential in the entire league at negative 19. So yeah, well at least the Ottawa Senators are still a team and their New Jerseys have the classic Ottawa Senators logo on it. I do approve that change back to that logo. I mean, the the 3D look of the Senators, that was fine, but it's just, you know, it, it wasn't the same. I don't know. And now we have the Honda West Division, Colorado leaning at 6-3, and three, followed by Las Vegas, St. Louis, Minnesota, Los Angeles, Anaheim, Arizona, and San Jose. And then the Discover Central, where the Columbus Blue Jackets are. And Columbus on top of the Central at 4-2-3, followed by Florida, Tampa Bay, the defending Stanley Cup winners, Dallas, Carolina, Nashville, Chicago, and Detroit. And Detroit has the second-worst goal differential at negative 14 at 2-5-2. So, the question for Michael Galloway, I was getting to it, I promise, Blue Jackets' chances this year. So, I definitely think being in the Discover Central is interesting because of the fact that, well, remember the time before... Columbus was sent to the Metropolitan Division. Their foes were Chicago and Detroit. And I think Nashville was in that division too. I don't remember. But, yeah, I think the Blue Jackets are in a pretty tough division because it also covers the South 
in Florida and Texas and Carolina and Nashville. So South Central, we'll lovingly call it. Blue Jackets, 4-2-3. and three. And their recent pickups of Patrick Liney and uh, Jack Roslevic, formerly of Miami and also Columbus, Ohio native, I think that was a nice deal. They got rid of someone that just didn't want to be in Columbus anymore. Pierre-Luc Dubois. And the last shift that Dubois had, just, you can tell. Just not skating hard, not going after the puck hard, just, you know, I'm out there, he's skating through the motions. See, I am funny. No one just appreciates my humor. That's what it is. So, Columbus got rid of a bad situation. Dubois didn't want to be there, so fine. They sent him to Winnipeg, which some people call it Canada's Ohio, which I've never been. I've heard Winnipeg's beautiful, and I always wanted to see... What is that ring called now? It's like Bell? Is it Bell Center now? Because it was MTS Center. It was built on an old department store called Eaton's once upon a time. Oh, this makes me laugh because there's a department store called Eaton's and there's a small city called Eaton in here. No relation, obviously. But anyway, yeah, I think the Blue Jackets with that addition, you had a star wingman and Liney. And Roslevic is no slouch on the ice. And he's playing back in his home state. He's close to his alma mater of Miami U. Yeah, I, I like that trade. Columbus as offense. Right now, their goal differential is at negative two. But they have scored the most goals along with Chicago at 23. Giving up 25 goals, that is about middle of the road towards the higher end of giving up goals. Detroit's given up the most at 32. And Chicago's given up 30. Your least, Carolina, seven. And that's it. Although Carolina's played four less games than the Jackets. So, you know, take that what you will. Dallas has the best goal differential in the Central at plus 10. And in fact, that's one of the better ones. Colorado, I think, has the better one, the best one in the entire league at plus 14. So I think the Jackets will do well in the Discover Central division. I mean, they did lose a tough shootout round to Florida against Sergei Babrowski. I mean, Tampa Bay's in there too. You can't, you know, forget about Tampa Bay. They won the cup last year after being haunted by the fact they gave the Blue Jackets their first ever playoff series win ever and winning the President's Cup. That's the best record in the NHL. And not winning a single playoff game. Yeah. That's going to haunt you for a while. And Tampa Bay did get revenge. That was a real fought series, I thought, last year in the... Oh, which bubble was Columbus in the Toronto one, I believe? I thought it was well played. It, it, of course, it stung to see the Blue Jackets go, but nothing to hang your head about. I mean, they won in five against Toronto, which pretty streaky up until that point. I mean, I thought... When Toronto came back like Columbus did in Game 3, in Game 4 when the Leafs won, I thought, well, Toronto's going to win Game 5. They lay an egg and don't score at all. Although they hit the post plenty of times, did the Maple Leafs, and Columbus won that game to face Tampa Bay. So, I think Columbus will make the playoffs. I think that's a very good chance. Stanley Cup. Uh, the Stanley Cup, even. Now, the Stanley Cup, 
I mean, right now, I, I think Tampa Bay, you know, you got to give them a shot because they're defending their title. Colorado's looking really good, plus 14, 33 goals, by the way, which I think that's, no, that's not even the top. Washington's got 35. But, you know, there's a lot of good teams out there, and I think Columbus can hold their own. It's just, do they have enough firepower and goaltending to make that leap? I think they do. And I also think getting John Tortorella as the head coach of the Blue Jackets is probably the best thing the franchise has done. You might like him, you might hate him for his abrasiveness, but at the same time, he gets the best out of the players. And you know what? He didn't put up any crap with Dubois putting in that, you know, weak-hearted shift. He just sat him down. Didn't come back in that game. You know what? I don't know if the previous Blue Jackets coaches would, you know, keep up with that. I'm not saying they would, but I'm not saying they would keep him on the bench like Torts did. So, so Blue Jackets chances this year, playoffs, oh yes, Stanley Cup. Talk to me again when we get closer to the playoffs. And from the Blue Jackets in the cold world of hockey to the Cincinnati Bengals in the cold world of snow outside. Seriously. Uh, I mentioned I was announcing wrestling for ESP on Wednesday. Cincinnati had snow. And in fact, I think downtown they had to issue... Did they issue a snow emergency? Or was it just in the thought process? I don't remember. But yeah, coming home from Cincinnati, couldn't see anything until it got closer to Monroe. And then we get into Dayton. By we, I mean me. When I get into Miamisburg, it's dry as a bone. And I'm the only car in the area that looks like I got hit by 12,000 snow plows. <laughs> At least the rain has washed that off now. But anyway, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And if you listen to a certain radio station, you know the host has a tendency to go, Oh my God, the Bengals run office. They they breathe oxygen. They're monsters. They shouldn't even be alive. Blah, blah, blah. Cincinnati shouldn't even have Joe Burrow. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, uh, to say he hates the Bengals with a passion is uh, <laughs> obvious. And the Browns can do no wrong. And, and the Cowboys and... Yeah, I mentioned I wasn't going to talk about that, but uh, guess what? I lied. So we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. So Cincinnati, you know, not in the Super Bowl, didn't even make the playoffs. I believe they were the third team ousted from the chase. And yeah, it was a tough year, especially seeing or hearing Joe Burrow go down in Washington when the offensive line failed him. So, you've heard me talk about it a million times on this podcast. The Bengals need offensive line help. I like the hiring of Pollock back as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator. I also like the hiring of the defensive line coach, which, by the way, Nick Eason, who was the coach for two years for Cincy, he took a job with Auburn in that same department. So, you know, congrats to Eason for bouncing back and heading back into college ranks. But this is not about the team. We're not talking about the draft. Bengals still have the fifth pick. We'll talk about that closer to time. 
It's about a new look for Cincinnati. That's right. The current Bengals look, which, in my opinion, they're all right. I'm not a big fan of the number font. In fact, since name Pittsburgh's number fonts, uh, I'm not a big fan of. Baltimore's okay. Cleveland, eh, I wish they went total block font, you know, back in the day. But it's not bad. I personally think that the font is just, it's weird for football. I mean, hear me out on this. I mean, block number font, your standard in athletics. I mean, most teams nowadays don't have it. I think it's a classic, and I think it's one that should stay. It's it's legible, and it's pretty common, so you know. So I get the fact that you want something else. I get that. But for me, the new number font, it's legible, but it's just the round. I don't know. I, I'm complaining and nitpicking at this point. So a while back, a few weeks ago actually, the Cincinnati Bengals announced that they are going to have a new look, which means new jerseys. They already mentioned in the press release that the helmets are going to stay put. A lot of people wanted the helmets to change, and I don't know why that is. It's been a thing since 1981. If you go back before, since 1968 till 1980, it was just bangles on the helmet. Very Cleveland Browns looking like in the uniforms and the uh, helmets. In fact, if I remember Paul Brown's book, I think some of that equipment came from Cleveland. I think it was the same shade of orange, and instead of the brown for the Cleveland Browns, it was black for the Bengals. And actually, there was a team back in the 30s called the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they were around for a grand total of a year. So that's the reason why the name was chosen. Also, I always thought it was because Cincinnati Zoo always had a nice selection of Bengal tigers, my favorite animal. So, yeah, I, I love the Bengals name, and I'm glad that's not changing. I'm glad the helmet's not changing because it's unique, and it's not just slap a logo on the side, or if you're Pittsburgh, just one side. I never understood that. Or if you're Cleveland, just have a plain old helmet with a stripe. Woo, how original. You picked a fold on your helmet change now. I'm sorry. I know it's classic. I really like when Cleveland had the numbers on the helmets. And they did that once, and I think it was against Cincinnati, and I think that was the game where the Bengals won 30 to nothing, something like that. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So you go to Bengals.com, and you look at the video that the social media team posted. Yeah, that look has been around since 2004. And you know what? Like I said, it's not a bad look. People say it's busy. Yeah, I can see it. But, you know, it's time for a new look. Helmets are staying the same. And I really like how they go through the history. I think my favorite look throughout the Bengals' tenure in Cincy is probably back in the day when they had the ones from the 90s until 2003. And yes, I know, that's... Definitely not the pinnacle of Bengals football. Now, if Cincinnati goes for a throwback, definitely I'd like to see that. And I forget when they did that. Was that 94 when they did that? I really like the 81 through 96 look where you got Bengal stripes down the side of the pants and on the shoulders. The Leaping Tiger ones, 
they're okay. I, I thought these, you know, the black ones, actually, I'm looking through the video right now, the black ones are a lot better than the white ones, just because, you know, they still kept the Bengal tiger stripes at top of the leaping tiger. So, definitely the one thing I want out of this new look, get rid of the Bengals B logo. We get it. Bengal starts with B. There's Bengal stripes inside. I hate that logo. I hate it. And I don't have a good reason outside. It's just eh. It's just eh. I mean, I know I'm a hypocrite because one of my favorite Bengals logos is the 2D helmet. I mean, a lot of teams use it. In fact, I think the Colts and the Chargers still use it as their midfield logo. I think, but I, I, I was like that. My Nana had a uh, Bengals Cup win since now he made the Super Bowl in 1988. And honestly, I, I, I like that cup. And it talked about how 1988 Bengals went 12 and four. So I was really happy. I, I, I don't know why I'm that cup. And I, I miss my Nana because, you know, Nana and I, we would talk sports. Pop and I, we were, you know, we talk sports all the time. And he's like, well, the Reds are just terrible, aren't they? Yeah, they are, Pop. And now the... Don't get me started on the shortstop sweepstakes for Cincinnati. It's gotten so bad, they pick a Rule 5 draft from Philadelphia after the Phillies signed D.D. Gregorius, who was considered the last big shortstop. And the Reds just whiff on that. So unless they go Jose Garcia... Yeah, and actually, it's Kyle Holder, the uh, pickup for the Reds on a Rufide draft, meaning he's got to be on the active roster the entire season or he goes back to Philadelphia. There's no ifs, ands, or buts on that. But anyway, back to the Bengals' new look. There's been a lot of designs out there on the internet. Pity I can't find a lot of them. There's been a lot of people saying, hey, the helmets should change. It's not. Sorry. And I'm glad it's not changing because I think that is the identity of Bengals football, the Bengals stripes on the helmet. There's been a few people that want white helmets with the black stripes for color rush. Uh, I, I know there's white tigers out there, but just eh. I feel like you're trying to be the Raiders at this point. All you need is the silver. In fact, I think there was a design choice where it had silver outline. It's like, why? Are we moving to Oakland? We better not be. There is a design from LWOSports.com. I think it was from last year before the initial design. It changes the number font, which... Eh, it, it, it's it's alright. It gets really busy on the sleeves and the undershirt where it's just tiger stripes from about where your arm goes into your shoulder and on downwards where your sleeve ends. Eh. And the big no-no, they put the Bengals B logo on the helmets. No, 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 no. Get rid of that logo. Have the tiger head at least. Or the leaping tiger even. I like that logo. I thought it was a nice logo. Yes, I know. Again, that logo represents when the Bengals were putrid, to say the least, before Marvin Lewis came and took over. So that's my big thing. Get rid of the Bengals B logo. And for design, you know what? You honestly can't go wrong with block font. 
go back to the 81 through 96 look. You know, that's when the Bengals were the best in the 80s. Two Super Bowl trips. And, of course, San Francisco had to beat the Bengals both times. Thanks. Fifth. I'm sorry. Um, That's what I would like to see. Clean. You know, not too busy. Have the stripe of Bengals tiger stripes. I know how redundant that sounds, but it's a horizontal stripe. And inside you have predominantly orange with black stripes inside. That's what I'm getting at. I like that look. So that's what I hope the Bengals go for. There's a few that, there's one from BleacherReport.com, Nike Pro Combat NFL Uniform uh, Draft. It looks like the helmet just is like a big wild zoom on like the Bengals' foreheads. Like, why? Why would you do that? Just leave the helmet alone. And luckily it will be. And they want all Xavier Musketeer on the jersey. Uh, what I mean by that is the current look for Xavier, they have their font and the numbers are really kind of squished in, whereas, I don't know what that font is, but it's it was one that Wright State, Dayton, Xavier used. I think Butler might have had it for a time. Uh, it's It was clean, and it seemed like most college basketball teams had it, but uh, it, they squished it, and yeah, and they have bangles on the front. It's like, why would you do that? So, yeah, that's what I would go for. That would be my choice of look, and I hope that's... The direction Cincinnati goes, I have a feeling, no, it's not just going to be, hey, remember these jerseys when the Bengals made the Super Bowl twice? They're back. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's going to be a a combination of the two. Going back, throwback, and having new styles. Because remember, it's Joe Burrow's team. And I I still hate the fact he went down to Washington because I honestly thought Burrow could have won the Rookie of the Year award. Honest to goodness. I know Justin Herbert did great for the Los Angeles Chargers, but I don't know. For Burrow to step up, have no offensive line, and still throw as many touchdowns as he did with just five picks, yeah, that kid's going to be special. I think one day he'll be elite, but second year he's going to have to come back from his surgery and his rehab. And I certainly hope he does. So that's my look. That's what I would like to see. Going through some of the drafts. Now, this one's nice. This is from Behance.net. Mark Omler on Behance. He's got an orange jersey. He's got white block numbers. And this is taking a long time to load. Thanks for that. Should have just kept it on the preview and talk about that. In fact, he's got a little bit of everything. He goes block font on Cincinnati, has a black jersey and the sleeves, which is top of the shoulder down to where the arm comes out. That's what sleeves are. With orange with black tiger stripes. They look fairly similar to what the Bengals have now, but the collar is not colored in orange. And I think that's some things that that Boomer aside and said it's just too busy, which... You know what? Now that I see it, and now, yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, white shorts and a bangle stripe down the side of the pants. White jerseys, I can't tell if you went gradient on that. No one gradient. Atlanta Falcons did that. It's just, I mean, in the 90s it was fine, but today it's just, I, I, I don't know. I, no one gradient. Orange jersey looks good. I can't tell if that's gradient or not. 
And there is a throwback jersey. I thought it was a Cleveland Browns jersey, but no. Except I think his lettering on the helmet is a bit scrunched in. I think it's just because the fit of the helmet, you know, back in the day, it was just a round piece. Now it's got several, like, etchings so that if it hits and it pops off so it doesn't just, you know, stay on your head and hurt you even further. So, yeah, I like this kit. Again, it's Behance.net, and it's Mark Omler, the author of his drawings. This is probably the favorite ones I've seen. I've seen a lot on Twitter. Although his uh, Baltimore Ravens ones, eh. I know I'm going to sound like a giant hypocrite, but I actually like the font of Baltimore's. I don't know, it just it, it fits. And I know I don't like the Bengals and the Steelers' rounded font, but you know that's just me. His brown ones aren't too bad. I, I don't understand why Cleveland went away from the orange, but you know, that's just me. And he goes back pretty classic for the Pittsburgh Steelers ones. Someone does have to tell me why Pittsburgh only has the Steelers logo on one side of the helmet, not the other. Because I don't, I don't know that story. Is it because back, uh, when was it, the 30s, before World War II really took off, uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh combined for one team, the uh, Steagles, I think. Steagles? You know, Steelers and Eagles. I don't know. That's just that's just me. But there's plenty of drawings out there. Whatever you like, you know, tell me about it. We'll talk more about it. In fact, actually, looking at his drawings uh, still on Mark Omler's, I don't think Indianapolis really changed. I mean, they got a classic look. Don't mess with it. So that is the Cincinnati Bengals. They'll have a new look. And, oh, no, their video fumbled. So... That's bad. Can't wait to hear that on 1410. Oh, my God, the video bungled. Uh, Move Cincinnati to Las Vegas or something. I know there's a team in Las Vegas. Shut up. But you get what I'm saying. So this is from January 21st, only 10 days old. So luckily, I don't think I missed the Bengals introducing that. This is from WLWT by the digital staff, the NBC affiliate of Cincinnati. So... Again, helmet's not changing. Jerseys are. Look is. I'm not sure about the logo. So, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what the Bengals' new look will be. And now, let's talk about the 2021 MLS Super Draft for FC Cincinnati and the Columbus Crew. It is one that has a pretty nice local splash and someone that I think might have a very nice career in the MLS. But we'll start off with the number two pick overall for FC Cincinnati. The first overall pick went to this team should be Columbus moving to Austin, says Anthony Precourt. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Anthony Precourt, soon-to-be failed team. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Austin FC. And they picked Daniel Pariah out of Virginia Tech. So... Yeah, I, I'm still not a big fan of Anthony Precourt trying to move the crew. What was he thinking? You don't move a classic franchise like the crew because, oh, well, I sabotaged my own team. I want another one. I want to go to Austin, Texas. And again, this isn't against the citizens of Austin, Texas. It's not. I just don't like how Precourt did everything. So, yeah, have fun with that. So anyway, FC Cincinnati, they picked the Scottish DJ. 
Are you laughing yet? I can't hear you because you're in a different house or car. Now, they picked Calvin Harris, a Ford, from Wake Forest. So, pretty much the last two years for FC Cincinnati, we can all make this agreement have sucked. I mean, fan support's been great. It's just FC Cincinnati hasn't been able to score goals. And the defense has been suspect at best. There have been times where there have been shutouts, yes. But uh, there's been times where FC Cincinnati will give up three or four goals a match. No, I don't want that anymore. I think FC Cincinnati fans don't want that anymore. Anyway, Calvin Harris, a forward from Wake Forest, is your number two pick overall in FC Cincinnati's first grab. So Calvin Harris is coming out of Wake Forest. He's from Middlesbrough, England. He's just at the age of 20. All-freshman team in 2019 and the co-offensive player of the week back in 2020. His high school was actually Scots College in New Zealand. So he's traveled around a bit, went to Wake Forest, and in his, what would that be, 32 games with the Demon Deacons, 16 goals in 2019, 9 goals in 2020, 10 assists in the two years, no, excuse me, 10 goals in the two years, on 25 games, 5 assists. So that's Calvin Harris for you. And I am liking that FC Cincinnati is trying to build an attack up front. Because again, when you don't score goals in a lot of your games, your offense needs some help. So, I like I like that pick for FC Cincinnati. And I also like my joke. Okay, it's not my joke. Someone else made it. But then I was like, wait a minute. Calvin Harris, isn't he the singer and the DJ from... I had to check. He's from Scotland. I thought he was from Germany for some reason. Oh, well. Now let's roll it on through. We will go to the Columbus Crew first pick. Actually, I think there might be a local name in there. Or is that in the second round? I think I might be wrong. Although, I I did laugh at the fact Brandon Hackenberg was taken 22nd overall by Orlando City. You might know the football tale of Christian Hackenberg. That's American football now. And he's not doing so great in the NFL. Although, hey, he made to the NFL, so a lot better than I. So who am I to criticize? I'm not sure if he's related, but uh, it makes me laugh because I see Hackenberg on there. So, there you go. Enjoy the laugh or call me an idiot. I don't care. I can't hear you. Again, we're in a different house. The crew will take a defender from Clemson and Justin Malou. And that's the 27 overall pick. Why is Columbus picked last? Well, something about winning that MLS Cup. And I know FC Cincinnati, you're trying to start a rivalry with the crew, or you have a rivalry with the crew. But really, going with Seattle, that's a bad look. Support your state. And then here's the billions comments. Like, you need to support Ohio State. They're in Ohio. No. No, I don't. So uh, get off get off my lawn. In his four years in Clemson, Malou, he is from Kandugal, Senegal. He's at 22 years of age. My God, he's 10 years younger than me. <laughs> Covering sports. I'm going to be the old man still of a podcast, aren't I? Until they're outlawed. So the defender... One goal, seven assists in four years at Clemson. Remember, he's a defender, so, you know, if you get scoring from the defender, great, but you're trying to, you know, prevent scoring. 
So Malou from Mount Verde Academy, AAC All-Tournament team in 2020, one goal in his 11 games, 11 starts. And in fact, his upperclassman years, he started all but one match. So that's pretty good. His underclass time, he started seven games his freshman year out of 13 and 11 his sophomore year out of 14. So that's not bad. That's pretty good when you have stability as a defender. Also, the top drawersoccer.com team of the week, October 27, 2020, and the College Soccer News team of the week, October 4th, same year. So that seems to be a pretty nice defensive pick for the Columbus crew. I say seems like because, yeah, I mean, the player looks great, but until they hit the pitch for their team, how are we supposed to know? So that's why I always think about. Round two, second pick, 29th overall for FC Cincinnati, and they go defender-wise, and they dive in the American Athletic Conference for Avanye Flanagan. He's a defender from USF, and apparently I can't look at his profile. Wonderful. So, now the first local pick, I believe it's Christopher Strickler. He goes by Christoph. He was a former Dayton Dutch Lion. In fact, had a very nice career with DDL with then-head coach Dan Grice. He is picked 30th overall in third and second round by the Houston Dynamo. So, congrats to Strickler, former Dutch Lion. I know that's something that the Dayton Dutch Lion folks can hang their hat on. They also have another one, but that's spoilers. Let's roll on through. There are a couple names I recognize from that school in Columbus, and that's because normally the Dayton Flyers hold this, I don't want to say tournament, they hold this set of games, and Ohio State will come to Beaujon Field. Ohio State actually traveling to a place? Wow! Anyway, there's a couple of Buckeyes that were picked, and I don't mind talking about Buckeyes men's soccer because, you know, the only thing talked about is, you know, football and men's basketball. So, you know, I'm fine with this. C.C. Uche is a defender, really good defender. He got picked up by the Los Angeles Football Club, 14th in the second round, 41st overall. And a couple picks after that, probably one of my favorite names, Joshua Jackson Ketchup. He got drafted by the crew. 25th in the second round and 52nd overall. This is when the crew picked the draft pick from Minnesota on a trade from February 12, 2020, when MLS rights for Aaron Schoenfeld went to the Loons. So, a Buckeye gets to stay in Columbus. Great defender. Took, I believe, about all the corner kicks for OSU. Yeah, great player. Last name, Ketchup. Well, Jackson Ketchup. Your last name's Ketchup. That's awesome. So, yeah, definitely probably my two favorite players. Well, you know what? Jackson Ketchup, definitely a favorite player. And actually, I saw another name, actually. And it said he was from Ohio State. But I thought, wait a minute. We'll talk about that later because he's further down. Now, the last pick of round two, the 27th pick, went to FC Cincinnati, 54th overall. From the University of Dayton Flyers, Jonas Fielberg. Great midfielder, great player, had a lot of fun announcing him. Outstanding talent for UD. I am pumped. Now, you might be asking, wait, he's a, he was a junior, 
before, you know, 2020's fall season got pushed back to spring. Well, I don't know what the process is for Dayton's fall season in the spring. I can tell you Wright State soccer season starts next week. And I have a look out the window. Yeah, that's really slushy snow. Yeah. Up north soccer. All right. Luckily, there's a press box for that. Sad thing is, I don't get to announce. I only get to broadcast uh, select games for Wright State soccer, men's and women's. So it makes me a little sad I'm not seeing all of them, but hey, it's better than none. So Jonas Fielberg, like I mentioned, great midfielder. He made the offense really go. In fact, probably my favorite midfielder since Amasaman Kona when I started announcing for UD men's soccer. Great player, and I am so happy. Now the plan is Fielberg will finish his senior year at UD and then go to FC Cincinnati. And like I said, FC Cincinnati last year couldn't really score a lot of goals consistently. When you have a midfielder that can connect and play up top too, yeah, that's a great pick. And I definitely, definitely want to see Fjellberg in the blue and orange. That kid deserves it. So congrats, Jonas. And I can't wait to see you at FC Cincinnati. And hopefully a PA announcer actually announces your name right. So there you go. Round three, first pick back to Austin and Anthony Precourt's dream of moving Columbus to Texas, Noah Lawrence. It says he's from Ohio State, but actually he was the starting goalie for University of Cincinnati Bearcats. In fact, was the starting goalie his freshman, sophomore, and junior year before UC cut the program. I'm not getting into the politics on that. I know. UC made about $8 million surplus during the down year, and I don't think men's soccer should have got axed, but it's not my decision. I'm just a guy that talks about it. So Noah Lawrence had a really good career at UC, and then transferred to OSU after the program got chopped. That sound was me chopping. Like, chop, knife, chop, chop, slap, chop. Anyway, so now Lawrence, another local kid getting a chance, but he will go to the Austin Bold. FC Cincinnati picks second in round three, 56th pick overall, and they go for Hostra for Matthew Vowinkle. So more offense turned in for FC Cincinnati. The Columbus crew had the fourth pick in round three, but they pass. They acquired the pick, the crew did, from a D.C. United trade on January 8th, 2021 for John Kempen. So Kempen now in our nation's capital. Let's scroll down. Okay, I mentioned Jackson Ketchup. Great last name with the ketchup part. Mitch Guitar, like the instrument in Guitar Center. He's a midfielder from Wisconsin. He's picked by the Chicago Fire. Is that a great last name or what? And then someone tells me, it's not guitar, you idiots. Guitar or something like that. I don't know. Scroll on down. There's a couple more names that I saw. There's one from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in Vuk Latinovich. Great midfielder. And he's going to the New York City Football Club. Pick 17th in round, what is that, three still? Yes, round three. And that's the 71st overall pick. 
You might say Latinovich, if I'm remembering the player correctly. Maybe not the tallest player you'll ever face in the MLS, but great midfielder. So definitely one to watch if he makes the NYCFC team. And hey, part of the Horizon League. That's awesome. Any more names that I recognize? I don't think so. There's a lot of passes. I always wonder, why would you pass? And no, that is the end of the list. That's three rounds. And that's what FC Cincinnati and Columbus Crew get. I love to see the local soccer players get a chance to play at the highest level in North America. Well, outside, you know, the national team. So I guess that wouldn't be in highest level. But that'll do. But... We'll see what FC Cincinnati does. We'll see what the crew do. I mean, after winning the cup, I think Caleb Porter's got himself a team. And he mentioned when he got hired that he wants to win the cup year three. It was his second year as the skip. And he already won the cup, so ahead of schedule on that, isn't he? For FC Cincinnati and the crew, you're opening up brand new stadiums. For Cincinnati, it's the West End Stadium. And for the crew, they're in the Arena District now. So... Do Ohio proud and make the MLS tremble with fear. And good luck to all the players that I mentioned. A little surprised that there weren't Wright State Raiders picked. And I know people are going like, you're a homer. I mean, just think. I, I know Derry Korf went somewhere. He was a great midfielder. He's a player that I think Wright State will miss. Where did he go? I know I retweeted it, but... Wait, he was taken last year's draft? I guess he was. Picked by the New York Red Bulls. 41st overall, 15th selection, second round, 2020 MLS Super Draft. I don't remember that being last year. Wow. I feel incredibly stupid. But there you go. I still can't believe fall sports have begun. Already, and soccer's got to play in snow, most likely. And considering that's an artificial turf, maybe it'll be a little bit slick. I don't know. So, let's talk about the Dayton flight. That basketball team that calls the Gem City home. And we go on to Facebook. I'll share the post. They made two picks in the basketball league draft. Is that not the best name for a league? I don't know, but there you go. So let's load up that post because I shared it on Facebook. Don't know if I shared it on Twitter. thought I did, but uh, maybe I didn't. Let us scroll down. Oh, and then I get to see the demolition of Hair Arena. Seriously, if you haven't seen a picture yet, pretty much I think maybe half of the back of the main arena still stands. Everything else is flattened. It's really sad, and I, I assume once weather's better, they're going to flatten it. And then the next post, who is Robin Hood? Batman's son, I think. Why is he at GameStop? <laughs> There's news about that, so, you know, if you want to read it. Also, St. Xavier basketball, not Xavier U, but St. X High School in Cincinnati. They'll get to play at the home of the Cavs. This is from Mike Dyer who I think does a tremendous job with high school sports in Cincinnati. This post was three days ago, and the Bombers will get to tip off against ISA Osborne Saturday, February 7th at 11 a.m. in the 19,000-seat arena. 
And also staying next will be the guest of the Cleveland Cavaliers as they take on the Milwaukee Bucks in an Eastern Conference showdown. Yeah, Mike Noska, the head coach for St. X Basketball. A great opportunity for the Bombers to represent the city of Cincinnati and the long blue line. Yeah, when you get a chance to play at an NBA rink, that's huge. And that's the NBA court, sorry. Still on hockey mode, can you tell? I mean, Indiana, I really love that the football teams play at Lucas Oil. That's the home of the Colts. And I think the basketball state title games are held at Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Pacers and Fever play. Actually, are the Fever playing there yet, or are they still playing at Butler for a year when they put in the renovations? I don't remember. But also, there is another post. We'll talk about this after this because I put it off long enough. This is from Brandon Harper. You might know him. He runs the Dayton flight. And the draft picks for Dayton are as follows. Maybe we go back. Here we go. The round one pick, pick six, is Xavier Keeling from Indianapolis, Indiana. He's six foot six, and he's now going to be a member of the Dayton flight. Almost said stealth there for a minute. Hey, it's talking about the bombers at Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Give me a break. So Xavier Keeling... He's got a bio on ESPN.com. He's a forward from the University of Detroit Mercy. So Horizon League action there. His career stats say his last year in college was 2009-2010. You think I remember that? That was the last full year I covered Wright State Basketball and WWSU. Anyway, 34 games played for Keeling his last year in college. He shot about 45.5%, scored about 12.4 points per game. And actually, although his games played wildly fluctuated his first year and the second year at Detroit Mercy, he still had the same average, 12.4 points per game. Of course, this is from ESPN, so who knows if that's accurate or not. Actually, it says he's from Huntsville, Alabama. Don't tell me I picked the wrong Xavier Keeling. Hmm. Is this the Xavier Keeling from Indiana University? Might be. No, because might be before he transferred. Okay. So, yes, that is Xavier Keeling. So, okay. He's got some experience on him, but he'll be a Dayton flight. He was picked with the sixth pick, round one. Six foot six forward from Indianapolis, Indiana, although both Indiana and Detroit Mercy say he's from Huntsville, Alabama. And the round two pick seven is from Park Forest, Brandon Barry. Brandon Barry, the second pick for the Dayton Flight. Let's pull up some stats on Brandon Barry. So Let's search this up. Park Forest. Or don't type it in. You know, that's fine too. Love him when my computer doesn't cooperate with me. So, here we go. He's got a B recruited profile. 
and there's no picture of him, but it does mention he graduated from Rich East Campus High School back in 2013. Six foot two, 153 pounds. He's listed now at six foot four. He's listed as a guard, and he's the second newest member for the Dayton Flight. Now, if I search Dayton Flights, I can tell you, I believe, by the way, their contract, their broadcasting contract has been picked up, I believe, by TKDS Sports. I know Kevin Fowler has mentioned that a couple times. So, I believe the season is supposed to start in April. I think they're eyeing Sinclair Community College, the flight, for their new home. So that's the team market owner and general manager, Brandon Harper. Hopefully, I'll have him on the podcast one day. And, you know, first year, you know, you learn from it and come back. I think second year should be very nice year for the flight. Once I get a schedule in, I'll mention that. Although there is another piece of news, Jabbar Bufkin, a former Dayton flight member, now takes off to Mexico to start a new basketball chapter. So congrats to Jabbar for the next step. So I can't wait to see what the Dayton Flight do in their second year. And that's your draft picks from the Basketball League. In case you're wondering who picked first, oh, I can't really tell. Some team called the Lions. No, not Detroit. But, yeah, so... Best of luck to the flight. We'll talk more about them as time goes by in 2021. And again, I believe the broadcasting will be done on TKDS Sports this year. Let's head back to soccer real quick before we head to the next topic. An update on Cincinnati's bid to be a part of World Cup 2026. So, the coronavirus has thrown a lot of wrenches into people's lives and sports. I don't think I need to tell you that because you're living with me too. But it seems to be Cincinnati and the region of the Queen City is still in the running. Now remember, 2026, the World Cup will be in North America. It's tri-hosted by the United States, Mexico, and Canada. So you think about it, there's a ton of soccer pitches, tons of professional soccer markets between Mexico, U.S., and Canada. With Cincinnati being in the mix, that's huge. I have to assume Columbus, Ohio has to be in the mix, too. I mean, think about it. I mean, I know with U.S., Mexico, and Canada, you know, teaming up to host the Cup, you're not going to have Dolce Cero, which is 2-0 for United States over Mexico. You're not going to have that, maybe. But, you know, Ohio is a great soccer state, you know? Soccer's such a beautiful sport. There's a lot of people that might just turn to know something like, hmm, soccer, it's boring. There's no scoring. Okay, there's not as much scoring as you might see in other sports. I will give you that. But the the ride of the sport is mainly the process of moving the ball up. You know? And I know people are like, oh, that's boring. I just need to score goals. Just have people shoot goals and that. You know, that's a lot of fun. That's why I imagine all people that don't like soccer sound like, but, you know, I don't know a lot of people. I love soccer. I uh, I love all sports, but soccer to me, just the patience that is required and the physicality that's required, the 
athleticism you need to have on the pitch. Just It's a great sport. And if FC Cincinnati, by the way, they're one of 17 prospective host cities in the States, if Cincinnati can rope this in, that just puts a big stamp on saying, hey, soccer's pretty good in Southwest Ohio. You know, you should support it. I mean, Cincinnati, the West End Stadium that's going to be, what will that be, about five years old at that point? New stadium for Columbus, about the same. So, Cincinnati's bid should emphasize all the soccer specific offerings, including the West End Stadium, of course, Mercy Health Training Center in Milford. Milford! So, Cincinnati's got a lot to offer in the sport. I know FC Cincinnati, if we're talking playoffs in uh, USL, not a lot to talk about. If we're talking MLS, there's not a lot to talk about. Also, there's Paul Brown Stadium. I mean, Cincinnati's been trying to get the World Cup bid since it was publicized back in 2017. I mean, if you think about it, that's going to be where you can sell the most seats. And yeah, I know, you're playing football at a football stadium. Excuse me, football at an American football stadium. There. Just so it's not saying, you're playing the sport you actually built the stadium to? You're nuts. In case you're wondering, the other United States cities going for it. Atlanta, Georgia, Baltimore, Maryland, Boston, Massachusetts, Dallas, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Houston, Texas, Kansas City, Missouri. Maybe Kansas City, Kansas. No, I think all the sports stuff's in Missouri. Los Angeles, California, Miami, Florida, Nashville, Tennessee, New York, New Jersey. In quotes. I think most of the New York stuff is in New Jersey, is it not? Except the Yankees and the Mets, of course. But, you know. I don't really think you could put soccer at a baseball field again. I don't think the teams want to have that happen again. I mean, I've heard a lot of complaints about the Louisville Bats saying, well, why is Louisville City playing here? That's ruining our baseball mound and stuff like that, which I get. I mean, you know. Also, Orlando, Florida, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In quotes, San Francisco Bay Area. It's all in California, let's be real. Seattle, Washington, and our nation's capital. So, Cincinnati's the only city in Ohio going for it, which surprised me, because, you know, again, Dose Cerro for the United States national team. You're hosting the World Cup. Why isn't Columbus in there? Just saying. I mean, let's look at the, the cities that do have teams. Atlanta, yes. Baltimore, no. Boston, New England, yes. Well, Foxborough. Although, I don't know what the recent talks are. The Revolution has always talked about, we need our own place. We don't want to play in the shadow of the Patriots. Well, don't run the Revolution like it's the shadow of the Patriots. Uh, Boston, yes. Dallas, uh, yes. FC Dallas. You have Denver, Colorado. I believe that's where the Colorado Rapids are located. So, yes. Houston, yes. Kansas City, uh, yes, they have Sporting Kansas City. I was going to call it the Wizards. They haven't been known by that name. And then, weirdly, I thought the Kansas City Brigade, which is uh, indoor football, and they haven't been around for several years now. <laughs> Los Angeles, yes, twice. Miami, took them long enough, but yes. Nashville, yes. New York, New Jersey, yes. Orlando, yes. Philadelphia, yes. In the Union. San Francisco, no. Right? 
Sacramento's getting a team. I think that's in next season or so, but San Francisco, no. Because Los Angeles, San Jose. San Jose is not near San... Is it? Wait. Okay, maybe. Maybe it is. I, I keep mixing up San Diego and San Jose. I don't know why. I'm sorry. Uh, Seattle, yes. Washington, D.C., yes. So a lot of those teams do have squads. Baltimore, you can make the argument they're lumped into Washington, D.C., I guess. But uh, Baltimore doesn't have their own MLS team, full say. But the rest of them do. So, yeah, I certainly hope Cincinnati can convince, saying, hey, World Cup games need to be in the Queen City. And you know who's going to talk about it? Me. Because that's why I talk about local Cincinnati Dayton sports. I think Cincinnati Radio. And like I said, I love listening to Cincinnati Radio because they actually talk about the Reds and the Bengals and UC, XU. So we say XU, just say Savior. But yeah, they actually talk about local sports. And Dayton, yeah, Ohio State, Browns, and let's make fun of the Bengals. That's kind of it. Mexico and Canada put forward three prospective host cities apiece, and it doesn't say which ones. If I had to guess for Canada, Toronto has to be one of them. Uh, Vancouver, maybe? I mean, they were in Olympic City a few years back, so maybe. Uh, who else? Montreal? I mean, they got a team in the MLS, so I, I'd, I'd say probably. So, there you go. Mexico, uh, I have to say Mexico City might be, but I, I'm going to be honest, I'm not... I'm not knowledge on this topic to actually give an accurate response but I have to think nation's capital has to be on that list right sure let's go with that so that's your look at Cincinnati still in the running for the World Cup and now a topic I really don't want to dive on but we're going to dive about it anyway so there are two schools in the Horizon League that we're going to talk about now and, no, it's not Rice State or Northern Kentucky, because we're not talking about the teams, although we might do that next week, especially when the girls' basketball brackets are out for Ohio. There has been bad news on the side of the Detroit Mercy Titans and Purdue-Fort Wayne Mastodons women's basketball teams. And from Women's Hoop Dirt, the site is Whoop Dirt. I like that. I know W is short for women, but Whoop Dirt. And it talks about Detroit Mercy shutting down the women's basketball program. I know you first thought, oh, COVID. No. It is something worse. What could be worse than a virus that has taken more than World War II took in terms of casualties? Well, this is written 10 days ago. University of Detroit Mercy Director of Athletics Robert C. Valls Jr. has issued the following statement in regards to the women's basketball season. The health and well-being of our student-athletes is our athletic department's top priority. We have talked with all the players and members of our women's basketball program about their concerns. We take them very seriously and will continue to review them closely. As we have prioritized the needs of our student-athletes during this challenging academic year, we have decided to suspend the 2020-2021 women's basketball season. Again, not on the virus. It is something worse. This is a report from the Detroit Free Press, a letter signed by 14 players 
which uh, sounds like almost all of them. I think you have, you can have 18, right? Something like that? Sure. Signed by 14 players and their parents was sent Sunday to Titans athletic director Robert Valves Jr., as it detailed a number of allegations of player mistreatment and potential NCAA violations by first-year head coach Anne-Marie Gilbert, whose time at Eastern Michigan in the last decade ended with the school being placed on probation due to infractions. The complete letter can be found here, and Anne-Marie Gilbert has yet to publicly comment or comment even on the situation. So let's load the letter. This is the NCAA complaint. Complaint again from Women's Hoop Dirt, addressed to Mr. Robert Valls, the athletic director at Detroit Mercy. Dear Mr. Valls, we, the parents of the University of Detroit Mercy women's basketball team, write to you with a grave concern regarding the welfare of our daughters. After having daily detailed conversations with our daughters over the last several months, many of which were passionate and tearful cries for help, it has become painfully obvious that our young women are suffering emotional mental, and physical abuse under the leadership of their head coach, Anne-Marie Gilbert. And just going back on the previous post, yeah, she had uh, a lot of infractions at Eastern Michigan. In fact, had to leave the program, and then EMU had to kind of recover from all those infractions. Many of us encourage our daughters to seek the help of the administration. However, the girls are terrified of the retaliation from Coach Gilbert who has created a hostile environment of fear and isolation. Feeling great frustration and helplessness, we came together in a Zoom meeting in which each family shared our individual daughter's experience. As a collective group, we were blown away by the horrific stories of utter disregard for the care and well-being of our student-athletes. In addition, those of us who are former collegiate athletes and our coaches are clearly aware that there are possible NCAA violations being committed. In particular, NCAA Rule 19.1, this letter will provide information on incidents being reported to us by our daughters over the last several months, many of which have been documented. And talking about Coach Gilbert, she was hired April 2020 after uh, Bernard Scott was told he wasn't coming back. And I didn't realize Bernard Scott was there for was it five years, seven years, something like that. Anyway, we're not talking about Coach Scott. We're talking about Coach Gilbert. She inherited a group of 10 extraordinary, spirited, competitive, and academically successful young women who loved the game of basketball. Upon her arrival, she recruited and added four more equally impressive young women of like character and quality to the roster. Despite the uncertainty of a pandemic, the team and parents were very optimistic about a new start and chance to take the program in a more successful direction. The University of Detroit Mercy student-athlete Hamburg states, it takes a tremendous commitment of time and energy to be a successful NCAA Division I student-athlete. Boy, does it. I mean, you have to practice the sport, play the sport, and still have to, you know, keep your books up. Or keep your books up. Keep your academics up. Hit the books. There you go. By aligning with the right people, services, and best practices, we are able to capitalize on the synergies of various talents and skills to better serve you. You, as a student-athlete, are at the core of everything we do and every decision we make. We seek to provide you with the greatest opportunity to be successful on the fields of play, in the classroom, and in life. We believe these sentiments to be true until the arrival of Coach Anne-Marie Gilbert. She came out of the gate with high expectations, challenging the girls to get in the best physical shape possible over the summer. However, upon arrival to campus, 
The challenges quickly began mandates and prerequisites for playing time. In example, the following demands were made. Do one mile, seven minutes, one and a half mile for 11 minutes for post, ten and a half minutes for guards for two miles, 16 minutes for post, and 15 minutes for guards. And Coach Gilbert said on several occasions that if those times were not made, players could not start, and even went as far as saying the players would not play at all. So, yes, I know what you're thinking. Athletes have to be in the best shape. Duh. I think that's a given. However, if you're pushing these girls, you know, just there, there's such things as reach for goals. Better yourself. But when you're saying don't, if you don't make it, you don't play? Eh, that sounds uh, not right. So, Coach Gilbert stated, or made it very clear, rather, that her priority is basketball over academics. Which, uh, yeah, that doesn't fly in college, because you need degrees to advance out and further your life. Pro-wise, eh, not re- I mean... You still have a life to worry about, but... For example, she's been persistent with trying to get players to change their schedules and our majors so that academic commitments do not interfere with practice. Yeah, if that isn't a big red light, I don't know what is. Okay, look, the teams have to work around your study schedule. Okay? That's a big thing. I mean, not everyone wants to do the same thing. That's why there's different majors out there. So, there's one example. For biology majors, they must take labs as a requirement to graduate. All UDM labs are open from 2 to 5 p.m., one day a week, and practice is scheduled from 12 to 3. Coach Gilbert instills fear in Gildan players for wanting to take these classes and accuses them of not being committed to the success of the program. Look, Coach, I, I know these are accusations. I don't think anything has been proven yet. But when you're telling players, ah, screw school, you're just playing basketball here, you're not committed unless you want, you know, you know, just play basketball and not give a crap about classes, that is a big no-no. No. So I won't read the rest of the requirement because it does go down a few pages. There's other concerns listed by the players. Again, uh, go to Whoop Dirt. That's whoopdirt.com. And there's an article from 10 days ago. I'm going to double check, make sure there hasn't been an update yet. So, other concerns listed by the players. I will touch on these because there are six bullet points. Coach Gilbert has made several comments and practices, and in the heat of close games, that the players are replaceable and that they can and will be replaced. That's not a great feeling. Several players have witnessed Coach Gilbert interact unprofessionally with assistant coaches, insulting them and threatening to fire them. I don't know if it's listed on here, but I read somewhere where the assistant coaches had to run with the players. Like, they had to get in that shape, too. It's like, why? You know? If the coaches want to stay fit for their own benefit, so be it. But... Coach Gilbert gossips and makes unkind comments about players during practice while on the sidelines. Sometimes with her daughter, who's a high school senior and not a member of the team. I didn't think practices were open to the public and family members, but there you go. Maybe I'm wrong on that. As well as one-on-one meetings with different players. And she's also made distasteful comments to the team, such as, 
I'm disgusted with y'all. Y'all don't deserve to win. You're cowards. Cowards limp. Losers limp to the injured players. Yeah, it gets uh, a little bit darker, especially if you're injured. The players have heard Coach Gilbert give up on them in the middle of games. During the second quarter of a game, she made a disheartening comment about how she was done, that she should just keep her mask on and stay seated for the remainder of the game. When your coach just gives up like that, Assistant coach Tim Webb and graduate assistant coach Tori Marlin have been the only people in which the players feel they can confide. Okay, so most coaching staffs, you have a head coach. Depending on what school it is, you have a couple assistants. So one assistant coach and the graduate assistant, which is pretty much an intern. Two? Ugh, that's not, that's not a good environment. So scrolling on through here, it does not say... But there are a lot of parents signing this. In fact, I count 12 groupings. No? 14 groupings of parents. And they sent it to the president of Detroit Mercy, the university himself, the associate athletic director, the assistant athletic director, assistant director of enforcement, and another assistant director of enforcement in the NCAA. So, I'm going to mention this. No, I'm not part of the Detroit Mercy women's basketball program. I think you know that because I'm not in Detroit. I'm in Dayton. Imagine the hike. But, yeah, that is brutally bad. I don't know. Why? Why is this happening? I mean, we're moving on to a new age where I feel like most people are more accepting. And then to see hatred like that? Ugh, just, I, I just, I just shake my head on that. I mean, I think this is the same article. We're going to pull it up just to make sure. We'll pull up the report from Detroit Free Press. And actually, this is not the only Horizon League school that's dealing with that. In fact, I mentioned Purdue Fort Wayne also has some nasty... Nasty accusations flying in there as well, although they are still playing. In fact, Purdue Fort Wayne fell in a sweep to Wright State in Fort Wayne, Indiana, just this past weekend. So, actually, we'll pull that up. We'll talk about that next. But Detroit Free Press, written by Chris Solari on January 21st. It was updated about an hour and a half after the initial publishing. And it talks about how women's basketball is closed at UDM. Not because of COVID-19, but because of the infractions. One parent says, it's been a nightmare. Our girls are just not the same. I know that's it's tough to bounce back from. I know the parents, they're going to be there for their kids, which they should. And I know they're looking out for their kids as well. So hats off to the parents that have you know, started this. Looking through, Gilbert has not responded to email requests for comment from the free press. The letter was crafted out of parents held video meetings on Zoom during which they began to realize the extent of the situation. Many of them have not met together in a group this season because, you know, pandemic and social distancing, but they were blown away by the horrific stories of utter disregard for the care and well-being of our student-athletes. And, yeah, that letter is five pages, and, yeah, it's kind of stomach-churning. By kind of, I mean it is stomach-churning. 
one parent who stayed anonymous said everybody had their own little f- things, but thought it was isolated. But then, you know, when they talked on Zoom, it's not isolated. So, there you go. It makes it tough under COVID when there's no interaction between parents. You don't see each other at games. There's just no connection there. Last weekend, everyone got on Zoom and told their stories. It started real slow, and then somebody told a story, and it's like, oh my gosh, and then someone else did. So, it's kind of like spreading rash on that. Sources told the Free Press that at a Wednesday afternoon meeting between Vals and the team, players said... They would play this weekend at Youngstown State only if Gilbert was not the coach. Meaning, bye-bye, Gilbert. Pack your backs, and we'll send you stuff from Detroit in a few weeks. Vows reportedly told them he felt the rest of the season should be canceled unless you tell me differently. So it looks like the athletic director said, we're just going to cancel the season. And also, the Detroit Mercy president, Antoine M. Garibaldi, was notified of the situation. Players expressed their concern for potential backlash from the school of Gilbert if she remained or was not put on leave of absence for an investigation into the allegations. The letter also accuses the former Eastern Michigan head coach and Michigan State assistant of creating an environment so toxic and draining that players have made comments in the locker room about having suicidal thoughts as well as purposely injuring themselves to avoid potentially having to deal with Gilbert's alleged belittling and emotional abuse. Yeah, that one in the letter. Suicidal thoughts. Okay, that's a full stop for me because I'm getting angry at myself. I'm getting angry sharing this. This is unexcusable. If the allegations prove true, you have one role to do, Detroit Mercy. There's the door. Get out. That's my take, and I think that's pretty much everyone's take on that. I said allegations, so maybe we'll look on that, and it just you know disappears. Like the Northern Kentucky situation, because I... You know what, I'm going to check that out right now. I haven't heard a peep after that once I talked about it on the podcast. But this, I mean, canceling the season. That season went on for NKU. So, yeah. I, I just, uh, the suicidal thoughts, that just made me angry. And just like, no. You're a coach. You're like their parent when they're in college. Unless, you know. I mean, even though the parents are close, you're the one they see the most on campus. If they can't trust you and you're putting in a toxic environment like that, uh, just, yeah, that's why I say no. And I just, I just shake my head. Hey, Jenna Burdett is the director of basketball ops at uh, NKU. She's a former Dayton Flyer. That's kind of cool. And Cameron Whitaker was an assistant coach at uh, UD before taking the NKU job. She's still there, is Cameron Whitaker. So I don't know whatever happened to that. But we didn't hear anything about you know suicidal thoughts at NKU. At least I don't remember that being the case. This is extraordinarily bad. I, I, I'd like to say you can't go any lower, but I feel like if you throw in a jackhammer, you could. I'm just... Uh, Oh, there are, there are a few more things here on Detroit Free Press. That letter is just scratching the surface. This is getting underneath the paint and just you know making rust. Now, this one is about the pandemic. And apparently, Coach Gilbert demanded that if players 
disregard or not report COVID-19 symptoms that they felt sick on game days. What is a matter with you? This virus has killed more than World War II ever did, and you say avoid the symptoms? You're spreading this virus out there. Players don't wear masks on the court. Ah, Just, I gotta get off this article. If you want to read more, it's uh, freep.com. There's whoop, dirt, and freep. But that's short for free pass. So, you know. So, now we move on to the Indianapolis Star to talk about Purdue-Fort Wayne. Because this is not the only school in Horizon League that's happened to. There's another one with accusations in Purdue-Fort Wayne's Nisi Nilsson. She's been accused of abuse. And this is from Dana Hunsinger, Dana Hunsinger Benbo of the Indianapolis Star, written on the 22nd of January. You know, I saw this literally happen back-to-back days. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I know coaching is a tough job. I am not criticizing coaches until they reach that part where people are told, oh, you got COVID symptoms, don't report them. You're fine. Get out there and play and just spread the virus around. Who cares? And then you're telling players something so heinous that they're starting to have suicidal thoughts and hurting themselves. Mm. At Santa Clara High, going back to the Indy Star article, this is from MSN.com, a private Catholic school in California, Nisi Nielsen was a four-sport athlete. Point guard in basketball, outside hitter in volleyball, and setter in the same sport, midfielder and goalie in soccer, and shortstop on the softball team. So, what a resume that Coach Nielsen has in her playing career. Sports, coaches, teammates, wins and losses. Nielsen was immersed in all of it. But basketball... That was her fourteen. So it goes on to preview a little about Nisi Nielsen and her collegiate career in the late 1990s at Concordia University in Portland, Oregon. There's like three or four Concordias in the States, at least the ones I know about. So talks about her college career, but I want to talk about toxic abuse alleged inside Purdue Fort Wayne women's basketball. We head to Dana Hunsinger Benbow's article on January 20th, so this is the day before the Detroit Mercy issue pops up, at least I think it was. After each berating, Chelsea Driver said she would hide in an office in Hilliard Gates Arena. As the head athletic trainer for Purdue Fort Wayne's women's basketball team, Driver said she soothed herself by cutting after each of Coach Nisi Nielsen's verbal tirades, making wounds so deep on her right hip that the team doctor would sometimes have to stitch them up. Why? Why are these coaches doing this? <sighs> she would try to rationalize the chaos around her. She said, this must just be the way Division One basketball life is. It's not. It's called abuse. Feel the bullying and mental abuse. Athletes forced to play with injuries. Players who aren't in shape shamed. Teammates mocked for depression and anxiety. Food and medical care withheld. So yeah, it's another one of those situations. And I'm I'm holding back a lot because at this point I would be dropping bombs on this. If if I had a daughter that had a coach like this and there was allegations like that, you would bet I would be doing something. <laughs> 
because that is inexcusable. So Driver spoke to the indie star exclusively. Wasn't the only one suffering. She wasn't the only one with serious and troubling complaints of alleged toxic abuse inside Nelson's basketball program. And all 22 people, 14 players, six parents, assistant coach, and athletic trainer spoke out against Nelson in a 71-page document sent to Purdue University officials in May. Why don't you send Purdue Fort Wayne? Well, remember, Purdue runs the Fort Wayne campus. I think Indiana still has the medical campus or medical part of Purdue Fort Wayne, but they, they're not a big part of it anymore. It's Purdue's branch in Fort Wayne. So that's why. Not the big part of the story, I know, but... So the document was compiled by Martin Greenberg, an attorney hired by players and parents. It was obtained by Indy Star in October. It alleges mental and physical abuse by Nelson, along with NCAA violations, since she was hired as head coach. The document demands an independent investigation of Nelson and her staff. The number of girls and parents that are coming out, it just doesn't stop. The injury to these kids is untold, said Greenberg. I convinced two girls not to commit suicide. That's how painful it was. Nelson and Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, refused interviews for this story. Nelson, however, sent a statement denying all allegations. While I respect these women... Excuse me. I just clicked outside the window. I just can't do that. If I click outside the article, and it's like... While I respect these women and their right to speak out, I deny that I have ever physically, mentally, or emotionally abused any player in our program. Nelson wrote, I fully understand my obligations as a coach and as an educator to provide the services that these student-athletes require to keep them physically and mentally healthy. Driver had been told that when she took the job in 2015 that Division I was different from lower levels of college sports. It was more intense. It was. And, yeah, that part is true. I mean, Division One, it's shown more on TV. It, it, I mean, if you Purdue Fort Wayne's on the horizon link, so mid-major. But when you're talking about high major teams like, you know, Cincinnati and Indiana, Illinois and Penn State, and I'm obviously leaving out that school in Columbus because, haha, you know, you have more view in the public eye because you're bigger schools. You're getting more TV budgets. You're on TV more. You're getting more eyes on it. That's not to say mid-majors don't get cut, but it's hardly... It's hardly a big slice enough out of the high majors budget. I mean, if we're talking about Wright State men's basketball, they've been on a branch of ESPN now three times, and they're now one and two. But that's not the point. There was the player who sprained her ankle, a severe sprain, a second time, driver said. Nelson pressured her. Driver said to contact the team doctor to inject lidocaine into the player's ankle so she could play and not feel any pain. That's a local anesthesia. What's that going to do when it wears off? You're going to feel that severe sprain. If you're playing on it, it's going to get worse. So local anesthesia is not going to do squat. (sighs) Lidocaine is one of the many local anesthetics listed as restricted in most cases by the NCAA according to its most recent banned substance list. There was the time, Driver said, when Nelson asked her to think of any excuse she could to get a specific player to break a team rule so Nelson could finally kick her off the team. 
wonderful. If an athlete woke up vomiting or had a fever, Nelson mandated they report in to driver by 6.30 a.m. to see if they were lying or telling the truth. Nelson rarely believed them, driver said. Most of the time, players still had to practice. It was all too much to take, and the cutting for drivers soon wasn't enough. Within four months of working in Nelson's program, starting the 2016 season, Driver said she suffered chest pains and went to the emergency room. Three days later, she took personal time off for mental health. I used to have nightmares, said Driver, now an athletic trainer with Bryan and Stratton College in Wisconsin, that she was stoning me to death with medicine balls. I don't know how much I can keep reading on this, but the allegations on both coaches for Detroit Mercy and Purdue-Fort Wayne's women's basketball, this makes me sick. Again, I will say, coaching, very tough job. It's something I don't critique on. You know, you're trying your best. you gotta, you got to make the players trust you, you. And the public looks at you. If you win, then you can stay. If you don't, then out the door. Let's try the next one. So... It's tough, but this, both of these results, is horrid. What are you doing? That you're making people cut themselves, think about suicide, and just running a toxic environment. What is wrong with you? So, a little further down the Indie Star article, it's not the first time Nelson age 41, has been accused of wrongdoing. In February 2019, Nelson was placed on administrative leave after an anonymous source made allegations of abuse in her program. She was brought back after the university said its investigation found no abuse. So, I've never hired people, and I'm not, I've never been a part of a hiring community or whatnot, but if you see these allegations, I mean, doesn't that kind of raise a red flag up? I mean, maybe those are false allegations, but don't you do a little research into that first? I don't know. I mean, Emory Gilbert's, her her NCAA violations, Eastern Michigan, wouldn't you think, you know, have you really learned your lesson or are you just saying it to get the job? Greenberg, the attorney that help send this in, reached out to dozens of people who've been connected to Nelson's program since 2016 and said he's listened to hours upon hours of stories. The result was the compilation of the 71-page document sent to university officials, which is the first step to encourage Purdue to do the right thing. If that doesn't happen, he said, further legal action may be taken. So far, Greenberg said he has been told the university is looking into the matter via its attorney, Kathleen Anderson. No response from Anderson to the Indie Star. As of January, silence, no change, Greenberg told Indie Star, regarding any response from Purdue. I know it's a black eye, Purdue, but you have to do the right thing. Look into this, you know? I know Purdue-Fort Wayne is probably not top of the list. You gotta worry about main campus Purdue. I get that, but... When you have this bad of an environment, you got to look into it. In the end, the document said 14 players and as many as four coaches have left Purdue-Fort Wayne or have been forced out in the past three years. That's 18 people forced out in three years, an average of six per year. 
that doesn't ring a bell. That's not saying, oh, wow, we probably should check this out. And it still keeps going. I'm not even halfway through this article. I know there's pictures and everything, but... Oh, go read it. IndieStar.com by Dana Hunsinger Benbow. Written January 20th, updated about five hours afterwards of the initial release. So, yeah. These campuses have to do the right thing. Because this is unacceptable. Full stop. This is unacceptable. It's inexcusable. I know, as a coach, there's such a thing as being tough on players. But when you grind to the bone and start creating an abusive relationship with your players, you've gone too far. Now, of course, these allegations, just allegations. So, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it turns out to be false, but I doubt it. I highly doubt on this one, these ones. I don't know what's going to happen. You know? But when you have to shut down a program because of that, I feel like Detroit Mercy has to do something. I feel like that has to be the case. And I, I'm, I'm sorry for those fans. That's, that's not right. I'm sorry for the players. I'm sorry. Just it's just not right. And I I'm still kind of my jaws open. I'm just like, why? By the way, in case you're wondering on the standings, which is not the important thing. Detroit Mercy finished one and nine in the league, one and thirteen overall. Purdue Fort Wayne still playing. They have lost sixteen in a row and are zero and fourteen in league play. I hope something is done, but I'm just a guy from Dayton that talks local sports. So, my support and my thoughts are with those players. I certainly hope that things get better for you. And that was the 200th episode of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. I, uh, <laughs> that took everything out of me. That literally hurt to read about. And again, like I mentioned, allegations. Nothing official has been filed in yet. But if you cancel a season, you really have to think they have to be gone. I, I hope these are false, but you don't send in 71-page documents talking about it. You don't have 18 people leave in three years. I mean, the only thing that's acceptable is they take different jobs. They move up in the world of coaching. Or maybe they leave the coaching field altogether but because they decided, no. I... I, I I love sports. I love how it brings people together, but that is one thing I hate, that it gets ugly. And I I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I, I'm just hoping that things do work out for those players at Purdue Fort Wayne and Detroit Mercy. I beg the hiring powers that may be do the right thing. Once you find out everything, you make the right decision. 
This has been episode 200 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening in. You know, there's got to be something that I could talk about that will bring up morale on this because, like I said, that was just heinous. Both of those cases. Next week, we will be talking about the girls' basketball playoffs in the state of Ohio because of the fact that the bracket draw is today. And in fact, that is the first thing that pops up when you visit ohsaa.org. We'll look at girls' basketball. We'll talk about all these, actually, because, you know, local schools. So, uh, statewide tournament brackets. They have not been released yet. But we'll talk about those divisions. Four, three, two, and one. Girls' basketball, boys' basketball, hockey. You know, it's local. It's on this podcast. Can I just say, though, maybe for one final hurrah to bring things up, I probably saw one of the better comebacks I ever saw in my time. It did not result in a win, but it was Carlisle Manuel Christian on TKDS last night. I had the junior varsity game, which was all Carlisle throughout the whole thing. And then the varsity game, Carlisle had a pretty sizable lead. I think it was at 16 at one point. In the fourth quarter, Emmanuel Christian out of Springfield poured in 30 points, and they tied it with 45 seconds left. Carlisle got a field goal the other way, and there was a foul on Carlisle with 10 seconds left. And uh, Byron Lawrence went to the line to shoot two, made the first. Then Emmanuel Christian got the offensive rebound and just couldn't put the winning shot in. And I saw Jason Channels, great player. Both Channel bro- Channels brothers, exceptional players. You know, that's the thing about doing this podcast. There are so many great players and teams out there. It's just, even if I cover everything, I'm still missing some. So, you know, I, I love talking about local sports, and I feel like it should be on sports radio, but that's another story for another time, you know, because everyone needs to hear about the Buckeyes 15,000 times in a row, and then how great the Browns are, even though, you know, they made the playoffs second time in their new incarnation and won their first playoff game since 1994. Wow. So, yep, we got to hear that a billion times. And, you know, things happen around here. I mean, Wright State basketball, their game back of first of Cleveland State. But you know what? Doubleheader sweep of Robert Morris. I can't believe Robert Morris is in last place in the Horizon League. That surprises me. I know they didn't have their leading scorer, A.J. Bregma. But listening to uh, tidbits of both those games, man, it was great to hear Chris Collins and Jim Brown back. The two do a wonderful job on radio. It was just nice after the series at IUPUI. And just hearing them call it. I mean, Wright State, yeah, close win. Everyone was surprised that, oh my god, Wright State didn't win in double digits. Oh my god, the world's ending. And then Wright State wins in double digits after this in the second game. So, but, uh, absolutely. So, you know, that'll do it. Episode 200, about 15 minutes shy of two hours, because, of course, that was my plan. 
And we'll talk to you again, hopefully next week, for basketball brackets. Hopefully we can get Steph and Tony back on to talk about what to expect in the playoffs. But until then, this is Lee W. Mallon. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Here's to 200 more episodes. Or, you know, me getting a job at these local radio stations. And we'll talk to you again for episode 201. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sinday Pod and Lee W. Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. This is Lee W. Mowen saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time. <laughs>